You're done with the third? Okay, very good. That's great. Well, we are uh, looking again at the Gospel of Mark. Over the years, I have read many portions in the Gospel of Mark, and I have compared passages in the Synoptic Gospels more times than I can count. If you're not familiar with that term, Synoptic Gospels, the, synop- the word synoptic means to see together. And uh, we usually call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the Synoptic Gospels because they record a lot of the same stories. Uh, and uh, John's a little bit different, records some of those stories, but he's a little bit unique in some of his uh, some of his record. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke record lots of the same parables, lots of the same events. And so, uh, when I've looked at the Gospel of Mark in comparing these passages in the in the Synoptic Gospels, but I told Carol this week this is this is the first time I have gone section by section through the entire Gospel of Mark, which we will have done by the time we get finished. And I have already been blessed and encouraged. I have thoroughly enjoyed bringing these thoughts to you as we expound on on Mark's rapid-fire account of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, we come today to another fascinating and beautiful event in the early ministry of the Lord Jesus, the healing of a man with leprosy. You know, of course, that every miracle of Jesus is not recorded for us. The Gospel writers only provide a sampling of the supernatural signs and miracles that Jesus performed. I know you've probably got your place there in Mark 1. Hold your finger there if you would. And I want you to turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 20, because I just want to show you a couple of verses that just reinforce that thought. The Lord Jesus Christ did so many, many things that they are not all recorded for us in the Gospels. And the Apostle John reminds us of that in the Gospel of John in chapter 20. There are a couple of verses I want to read, uh, one or two of them here at the end of John 20, verse 30 and verse 31. They say this, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John says, I didn't write down everything Jesus did. But he said, I wrote down enough so that you could know who Jesus was, you could understand what Jesus did, and you could believe. And look at chapter 21, the very last verse in the Gospel of John, uh, verse 25. He says, and there are many other things that that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. And so John says, hey, we didn't write it all down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't have every detail of everything Jesus did, but there's enough there that you should know what Jesus, what Jesus did, who he was, and so that you can know enough to believe. Because he said, if we tried to write it all down of everything he ever said or did, then he said that you couldn't even, the world couldn't hold all the books. So here in Mark chapter 1, back to Mark chapter 1, uh, we want to, we want to come to this, uh, fascinating and beautiful pa- passage here. As Jesus traveled now in Mark 1 from place to place, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That was his priority. We saw that last week in our study. He came to preach. He came to proclaim the gospel, to announce the coming kingdom, and to present himself as the king. 
The miracles that Jesus was doing were simply to demonstrate the grace and mercy of God to suffering people and to validate or authenticate or prove who Jesus was. That's what the miracles were for. Jesus' priority was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and to announce that he was the king and and, and that the kingdom was coming. So the miracles were just done by Jesus to show God's grace and mercy to people who were suffering and to prove who he was. Given the extent of Jesus' healing ministry, we would imagine that he healed many people who had leprosy. It was a reasonably common disease of that day. But there are only two recorded instances that specifically say Jesus healed someone with leprosy. One here that we're going to read this morning, and the other is the story of the ten lepers in Luke 17. Now there's a man mentioned in the Gospels who is called Simon the leper, but it doesn't specifically say that Jesus healed him, although that's certainly possible. But what makes this account so significant that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event? Well, we believe that it's probably because of the effect that it had on the ministry of Jesus. This new young rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, he was becoming quite famous within a couple of months of starting his ministry. But Jesus' popularity absolutely skyrocketed after this particular event. So let's read it and then we'll dissect it and see what we can learn and apply from it. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to go back to verse 35 just so you sort of see the context of this. We preached on this last week, uh, part of this, but let's go back to verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, meaning Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases in the ancient world. The the Greek word lepros, from which we get leprosy, refers to, uh, in fact, the word lepros just means scale, and it refers to the white, scaly appearance of, of a leper's skin. There were so or there were many skin conditions that could produce that look potentially, but the most serious is what we would call today Hansen's disease. It was named uh, for the for a Norwegian scientist Gerhard Hansen who discovered the cause of this disease in a way back in 1873. It, it's an infection that's caused by bacteria. The bacteria attacks the nerves, which become swollen under the skin. 
This can cause the affected areas uh, to lose the ability to sense touch or pain, which then leads to other injuries like cuts and burns. You're burning yourself and you don't know it because, because you can't feel it, or you cut yourself and you don't realize it because, yeah, because the nerves have, have died in those, that part of your skin. It, eventually, the nerve damage can get so bad it results in paralysis of the hands and feet, and advanced cases uh, result in the loss of fingers and toes. Now, ulcers in the eye and blindness can occur if the, if the facial nerves are affected uh, by the leprosy. There was a distinct odor connected to leprosy that would make the, the, the leper repulsive to both the sight and the smell of others who didn't have the disease. Today there are medications to treat the, vac uh, the bacteria and nobody dies from leprosy today. But in the ancient world, leprosy was a death sentence. It was a slow, miserable death sentence. And to avoid contaminating others, lepers were, were immediately quarantined. They were forbidden to live in any community. A leper could not approach anyone closer than six feet. Or on, on a windy day, according to the Jewish writings in the Talmud, 150 feet. They couldn't get close to anybody except other lepers. So there were these small communities of lepers that were scattered throughout the countryside, and they lived in total isolation from their families, which is no wonder it was one of the most dreaded diseases in the ancient world. Lepers were physically disfigured, they were socially isolated, they were religiously defiled, they, they were unlovable and untouchable and unreachable. So when this man comes to Jesus in a public setting, he would have shocked and horrified everybody. As this leper comes walking up to the Lord Jesus, everybody would be horrified. What, what is this man doing? Get back, get back, get back. Why, why is he approaching this, this, this rabbi? What is wrong with him? I mean, should we pick up rocks and, and, and throw at him to get him to stay back? I mean, what is going on here? But apparently the man got close enough to speak to Jesus and acknowledging Jesus' healing power and Jesus' authority to do whatever he wants to do, the leper pleads for healings for healing. If you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, when, when you know your life is a wreck and you are desperate for help, it takes a lot of courage to come to Jesus. When you're an outcast, looked down on, rejected and isolated and alone, it's a sign of great courage and determination to come to the only one that you believe can help you. You know you don't deserve it. You know you can't demand it. All you can do is plead for mercy from God and submit to his will. So he gives this great statement, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. Now, we mentioned lots of brief word studies in our studies of the Scripture. I try not to get into lots of grammar lessons from the text because I just don't want to weigh you down with a bunch of, with a bunch of grammar lessons. It's all interesting to me, but I'm not sure it's interesting to anybody else. Smile or something. You want me to give you the grammar lesson? Okay, I will. There, 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 there's a very interesting sequence in verse 40. A very interesting sequence. Imploring kneeling and saying. A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him. What's interesting about that is that those are all present tense participles. Present tense indicating continuous action. A participle is kind of a verb, adjective, uh, describing an action. And it's though as Mark 
directed by the Holy Spirit, of course, it is painting a picture in the minds of the readers, and in, in, in the minds of us as, as we look at this. This leper coming to Jesus, constantly kneeling, constantly pleading, constantly speaking to the Lord Jesus. It's not like, it's not like he just runs up and, and, and kneels down and says this once. He is imploring he is kneeling. He is saying. He is continually doing this as he's coming across the field, kneeling down, speaking to Jesus, getting up, kneeling down, speaking to Jesus, on and on and on, all the way up to him. If you're willing, Lord, I know you can make me clean. If you're willing, I know you can make me clean. If you're willing, I know you can make me clean. As he keeps getting closer and closer and closer. Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. And as the crowd recoils, I'm sure in horror... Jesus, it says, is moved with compassion. The word translated compassion here only appears 12 times in the New Testament. All 12 times are in the Gospels, and all 12 times they are connected to Jesus. The Gospel writer is either talking about Jesus, or he is recording Jesus using the word in a parable. Ten times in the Gospels record that Jesus was moved with compassion or he had compassion. The other two times are used by Dr. Luke in the Gospel of Luke in his record of Jesus' parables. And Jesus is actually using the word in his telling of two parables. One was the Good Samaritan. But you're all familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. This guy's going down the road, some robbers beat him up, steal everything he's got, even his clothes, and they leave him all bloody and beat up, lying there naked on the side of the road. And this Samaritan comes along, and he sees him, and Jesus says he was moved with compassion, and he went and he helped the guy. The other time Jesus uses the word is in the parable of the prodigal son, again in the Gospel of Luke. When you know the story of the prodigal son, the guy decides he wants all his inheritance and, and he wants to take his portion of whatever. He's the younger son and he goes out and he blows it all on foolish nonsense and, and, uh, and drinking and women and everything else along the way. And then he, after he winds up feeding the pigs and he's been gone for a couple of years and he's been, and he's been, which would be a horrifying thought to a Jewish person to have to be doing that. And he's got nothing left and he's in rags and he's totally broke and, and, and he's eating the stuff that the farmer's feeding the pigs. That's how bad it got for him. And he finally, the Bible says, it's a beautiful phrase. He says, he came to himself. And he said, why in the world am I doing this? There's plenty of food in my father's house. I'll just go home. I'll tell him I've, I, that I've sinned. I've blown it. Just make me one of the servants. I can just work as a servant in my father's house. At least I'd have something to eat. And so he comes home, rags, instead of rags to riches, he was riches to rags, and he comes home in his rags, and he's walking down the road, it says the father looks up, and he sees his son coming down the road, and Jesus says he is moved with compassion. Same phrase here. And he runs out, and he grabs his son, and he hugs him. And you know the whole, whole rest of the story. So the word compassion that's used, this, this very Greek word used 12 times in the Gospels, all connected to Jesus either saying it or it's about him, it, it means you have such a deep sense of emotion that you can feel it inside you. It, it just literally affects your internal organs. You can imagine that deep sense of emotion when you think about how Jesus used the word in those parables. 
You can, you can imagine that as the Samaritan rides by and, and he sees this guy beat up and bloody on the side of the road, he's like, oh no. And, and he, he has this sense of compassion and he runs over to him. Or the father who's longing for his wayward son to come home. And then he looks up and he sees his son coming, coming down the road. And he, oh, it's, it's my son. He's moved with compassion. He can feel it inside. Yeah, you, 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 so Jesus is so moved by this leper and his situation and his courage in violating every community standard to come into his presence that Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out and he touches the leper. Who in the world in their right mind would touch somebody with leprosy? Certainly in that day. I'm sure the crowd would gasp. As Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, he does the unthinkable. And then he makes the impossible possible, he heals him. And I'd like to ask you, and I, and I want you to think with me through this, how, how can we express compassion? Are we, are we so moved by the sufferings of others and the situation of others that we feel it down inside? That the, and that we, 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 we feel it so deeply that we are stirred to do something? But on a very down-to-earth, practical level, how can we express compassion? I believe there's two steps at least involved. The first one is this. The first one is to see people with Jesus' eyes. Do we see people like Jesus sees them? I'm sure when that leper came coming across the field... And people are seeing coming and they're backing up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody was seeing the leper like Jesus saw him. But as the leper is constantly kneeling down, imploring, pleading, Jesus, Jesus goes up and he touches him, puts his hand on him. He says, I am willing to be healed. Do we see people like Jesus sees them? There's a lady named Mary Bray who wrote a story uh, published probably 50 years ago in the old Guideposts magazine. June of 1965 illustrates this story, so this principle so well of seeing with Jesus' eyes. Let me read it to you. She wrote this following devotional. Our house was directly across the street from the clinic entrance of Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. We lived downstairs and we rented our upstairs rooms to outpatients at the clinic. One summer evening, as I was fixing supper, there was a knock at the door. I opened it to see a truly awful-looking man. Why, he's hardly taller than my eight-year-old, I thought, as I stared at this stooped, shriveled body. But the appalling thing was his face, lopsided from swelling, red and raw. Yet his face was very pleasant, as, or his, his voice was pleasant, as he says, Good evening, ma'am. I've come to see if you have a room for just one night. I came from the eastern shore this morning, be the Atlantic coast, came from the eastern shore this morning for a treatment, but there's no bus until morning. He told me he'd been hunting for a room since noon, but with no success, no one seemed to have one. I guess it's my face, he said. I know it looks terrible, but my doctor says, with a few more treatments, for a moment I hesitated, but his next words convinced me. I could just sleep in this rocking chair on the porch. My bus leaves early in the morning. I told him I'd, I'd find him a bed, but to rest on the porch. I went inside. I finished getting supper. When we were ready, I asked the old man if he would join us. No, thank you, he said. I have plenty. And he held up a brown paper bag. 
When I had finished the dishes, I went out on the porch to talk with him a few minutes. Didn't take a long time to see that this old man had an oversized heart crowded into that tiny body. He told me he had, that he fished for a living to support his daughter, her five children, and her husband, who was hopelessly crippled from a back injury. He didn't tell it by way of complaint. In fact, every other sentence was prefaced with thanks to God for a blessing. He was grateful that no pain accompanied his disease, which was apparently a form of skin cancer. He thanked God for giving him the strength to keep going. At bedtime, I put a camp cot in the children's room for him. When I got up in the morning, the bed linens were neatly folded. The little man was out on the porch. He refused breakfast, but just before he left for the bus, haltingly, as if asking a great favor, he said, Could I please come back and stay the next time I have a treatment? I won't put you out a bit. I can sleep just fine in a chair. He paused a moment and then added, Your children make me feel at home. Grown-ups are bothered by my face, but children don't seem to mind. I told him he was welcome to come again, and on his next trip he arrived a little after seven in the morning. As a gift, he brought a big fish and a quart of the largest oysters I'd ever seen. He said he'd shut them that morning before he left so they'd be nice and fresh. I knew his bus left the eastern shore at 4 a.m., and I wondered what time he got up in order to do this for us. In the years that followed, he came to stay overnight with us several times, and there was never a time he did not bring us fish or oysters or vegetables from his garden. Other times we received packages in the mail, always by special delivery, fish and oysters packed in a box of, of, young, uh, of fresh young spinach or kale, every leaf carefully washed. Knowing that he had to walk three miles to mail those, knowing how little money he had made the gifts doubly precious. Each time I received those little boxes from him, I often thought of a comment our next-door neighbor made after he left that first morning. Did you keep that awful-looking man last night? I turned him away. You can lose customers by putting up such people. Maybe we did lose customers once or twice, but oh, if only they could have known him. Perhaps their illnesses would have been easier to bear. I know our family will always be grateful to have known him. From him we learned what it was to accept the bad without complaint and the good with gratitude to God. Can we see people like Jesus sees them? That's the first step to this kind of compassion. The next step is to connect with the area of pain. If we are going to be moved with compassion as Jesus was, it requires action. Notice it says Jesus was moved with compassion. That deep sense of emotion has to lead to action to connect with the area of pain. That's what Jesus was doing. If you are willing, you can cleanse me, the leper says. And as Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, he says, I am willing, be cleansed. He is literally touching the area of the man's pain. Author Philip Yancey tells a story of Dr. Paul Brand, a famous doctor in the 1900s, devoted his life to treating leprosy patients in India. In the course of one examination, Dr. Brand laid his hand on a patient's shoulder and informed him through a translator of the treatment that lay ahead. To his surprise, the man began to shake and sob Dr. Brand looked at the translator and said, Have I said something wrong? She quizzed the patient. She said, No, doctor. He says he's crying because you put your hand on his shoulder. 
Until he came here today, no one had touched him for years. A missionary I read about this week worked in a ministry in Honduras that acted as, a, as an orphanage and a hospice because the children who lived there were dying of cancer and they had been abandoned by their families. While we were there, she says, a group of youth ministers came, from, came down from the States and before they came, we asked them to bring toys for the children. It was like Christmas, they said. The youth ministers came with, with toy cars and electronic games and stuffed animals. We told the kids, about 25 of them, that they could go up and pick one gift each. They all walked up together to pick a gift, and every single one of them, including the teenage boys, took a stuffed animal and left the other toys behind. When questioned, they said they just wanted something to hold. You see, the power of touch to the suffering is beyond compare. Can we see people through Jesus' eyes? Can we connect with the real area of pain? That's what Jesus does with this man. Then Jesus does something very, very interesting. He tells the man very, very sternly, Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what happened. Now, to our way of thinking, it would seem that Jesus would want everybody to know about the miracle. But Jesus knew that publicity over this kind of miracle is, is going to hinder his mission. It's going to divert public attention from his message. And I don't think Jesus wanted people focusing on the miracles he performed, but rather on the message that he proclaimed. So Jesus says, go immediately to the priest and show yourself to him and take the necessary offerings. That was laid out in the law of Moses in the book of Leviticus. The priest at the temple had to look at you, had to affirm that you were healed of leprosy. Then you could offer Offer some gifts to the Lord at the temple, and then you could return to your normal life. Now, the interesting thing was, Jesus is in Galilee. The temple is in Jerusalem. That's 80 miles away. It's a, it's a brisk four-day hike one way. And apparently, this healed leper, as he's heading to Jerusalem, he is telling everybody all over the place, everywhere he goes, that just this, you, this new rabbi, Jesus, was dead. he healed me. I was a leper. He touched me. He healed me. When I'm doing my study of these things, I like, I like to read the passage in several different translations, several different English translations, just to see different things. And there's one that I like. There's, a, there's an old Greek scholar, long since with the Lord, many years ago. His name is Kenneth Wiest. He has a translation he calls an expanded translation, it means he was so fluent in Greek, he could sort of get the implication, and he kind of expands what the verb tenses are, and sort of gives the, the, the sense of what's there. I've got another little Bible called the Amplified Bible, and it, where they kind of do the, the same sort of thing. And in each of those, in Wiest's translation and the Amplified Bible, it both says here in verse 45, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and, and to spread the matter. That phrase spread the matter. Both Wiest and the Amplified Bible say he was blazing it abroad. <laughs> That's the implication of that. So this guy's he's headed down from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and he is blazing it abroad. He's telling everybody he sees. He's yelling out to people. He's just blazing it abroad. The whole thing. And, and, and I mean, really, can 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 you blame the guy? He, he's got this 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 death sentence of leprosy, this miserable, long-suffering death, and Jesus comes up and touches him and says, I am willing to heal you. you be cleansed. Poof, it's gone. You can't, you can't blame the guy. He just, he's just blazing it abroad. <laughs> and you know, if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
Are you blazing abroad the goodness of God and the salvation offered to us in Christ? Have you spoken about it to anyone lately? Have you even mentioned it in a passing remark? You know, in a very interesting way, Jesus kind of traded places with the leper. It's an interesting picture of salvation from that perspective. Jesus sort of switched places with the leper. The leper came back to town, back to society, back to his ordinary life. But Jesus had to leave town and live out in the countryside because he was being mobbed by people. The lepers ruined life, returned to normal. Jesus' ordinary life was turned upside down. And it says right in this passage, Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. And you know what? Jesus was willing to have his life turned upside down in order to minister to this leper. You know, the, the, the willingness of Jesus in his entire time on earth is really a wonderful, wonderful subject for us to contemplate. His, his willingness to come to earth. His willingness to take on the limitations of a human body. His willingness to be hungry and weary and criticized. His willingness to suffer. His willingness to die for you and me. The, the, the willing, and that's just a few things. The willingness of Jesus is a beautiful thing. And it should be a motivation for us. How willing are we to serve and minister on behalf of the Lord Jesus, even if it turns our day upside down, or our week, or our month, or our life. Because anyone who comes to Jesus in humble faith, recognizing his need and asking for mercy, if you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean, Jesus will look at them and say, I am willing, be cleansed. Let's pray. Lord, in our typical American life, we're, we're so busy. We're so occupied with this and that. We see suffering. We know of suffering. Sometimes people come to us with legitimate suffering. And Lord, I pray that you give us a heart like the Lord Jesus. A heart of compassion to be so moved, we want to try to do something. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to have our lives disrupted from time to time in order to minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that as we think of your compassion for us, that we will have that same compassion for others. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.